Hi everyone, welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to this year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rorkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And we're coming to you shortly after the Oscar nominations were announced. So today was the big morning. We found out all of our burning questions, all of our desires that didn't come to be. We will talk about everything today, including some of the nominees. We won't go over everything, but some of the surprises, the snubs, things we liked, things we wished would have happened, things that just got totally ignored. We'll get into everything. How are you feeling right now? It's so hard because this day every year is just, it's an event for us. Like you have trouble sleeping, wake up really early, and the Oscar nominations announcement is always really memorable. Whether it was you being on your way to work when you found out that Denis Villeneuve missed or me being at my desk and scaring everyone around me when I screamed when Leslie Manville got in for supporting actress. Every year, there are nominations that are memorable and exciting. And this year, I have to say there weren't too many that made me cheer and clap and get really excited. I think a lot of them were expected. But that's also not to say that they're not great. I mean, there are a lot of nominations that I was really really happy came to fruition because 2023 was a great movie year. A lot of the movies that we really loved were really celebrated. I mean, you and I, we raved about Oppenheimer on our Barbie Oppenheimer episode over the summer that got 13 nominations. That's a big deal. And I think it would have tied the Titanic All About Eve La La Land record if we still had the two sound categories. Uh, But 13, Major Hall. I think looking at the nominations, what I will say is for me this year, there isn't The Whale. We don't have a Don't Look Up. We don't have a Jojo Rabbit. Like there isn't a movie in this group that I detest. And that is a welcome feeling. So I'll start there on a positive note. I think part of it is the diversity that we were kind of expecting too. I mean, we got the PGA 10 like we expected. That's a rare feat. But the movies in that collection are from all over the world. They're about so many different types of stories. And I think part of that is, one, why we like this collection so much, but two, that there's so much to love that we can also like pick apart maybe things that we don't like necessarily. But yeah, I think in terms of the announcement, it wasn't so mind-blowing because a lot of the things were down to maybe two people for one spot or two movies that we expected to get in and one of those did end up getting in. So there wasn't a lot of wiggle room. Like, did we want Dominic Sessa to get in? Absolutely. But that was a pretty small chance. So things like that didn't really happen this morning. We can get into things that we are super wild for next. But yeah, I'm kind of feeling the same. Like I'm ignoring what I'm unhappy about to enjoy the happier side of things. The biggest of that obviously being the Greta Gerwig miss, but you know, you warned me on the last episode to pre-grieve and at least, you know, people are saying, oh, she didn't get nominated and Margot didn't get nominated. They both did get nominated, just not in the categories that we also wanted them to get nominated for. So Margot is in picture, which is really cool. I really wish she would have gotten actress so we would have had like the groundbreaking 
Picture Actress nominations for Emma and Margot. And then Greta getting in screenplay, but not director. So we'll get there. What are you wild for out of this list? Yeah, so I think let's just start by reading off the Best Picture nominees because... I think that it is a great collection of movies. Again, like even if I'm not extremely high on all 10, it's a really great collective. So we have American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. I will start with The Zone of Interest, the last one. If you would have told me that a Jonathan Glazer movie was getting five Oscar nominations months ago, I would have told you you were crazy. And I would have said, look, like this man is not for the Academy, maybe Best Director. I did think there was a chance that he would get into Best Director when The Zone of Interest uh, premiered at Cannes and you had great things to say about it. And I remember you telling me, you will love this movie, you will come out of it buzzing. And That made me really excited for it, but I never thought it was going to be an Oscar movie. So I think the fact that it got in, in places like sound, that's a huge, huge deal. And I'm, you know, so excited for the Jonathan Glazer nomination and director as well. I'll also say I am so happy that Martin Scorsese was nominated for Best Director because I joked with a few people that if Apple didn't get it together for Martin Scorsese, then I would send back my iPhone and switch to an Android. And I'm very happy that I don't have to do that now and I can stick with my Apple products that I have. And of course, I'm very happy with Lily Gladstone and Robert De Niro getting in two of my favorite performances from the year. And I know I compared him to John Huston in Chinatown in terms of performance, but I'm glad that comparison didn't extend to the Oscars because that ended up being one of the all-time snubs for me. So I'm happy to see De Niro here giving a performance that I think should make him the winner. It won't, but that's fine. And then Lily Gladstone making history. We'll talk about the history makers today. There were quite a few of them, and it's kind of crazy when you read about the statistics, everything that was broken today. And another thing I'm excited about Justine Trier making it into Best Director. That was something I kind of went out on a limb predicting, and I'm really excited for her. I mean, also, again, like Oppenheimer, the techs. Like, I know Christopher Nolan movies do well to varying degrees here and there, but I love Ludwig Göransson's score. I love those costumes in the movie, the production design, a lot of the crafts in the movie. I know people talk about the women, how they're written in the movie, and that's fine. We will get to that when we do adapted screenplay on contenders, but a lot of the below the line people who worked on Oppenheimer are women. Ruth DeJong, the production designer, Ellen Miranick, the costume designer, and Jennifer Lane, the editor. So I think that that's pretty cool too, to get to see them nominated for their work, which is just excellent this year. So a lot to be excited for. And then we'll get into some of the things we're not so happy about later. I am most excited for Coleman Domingo. I think that was just my biggest worry going into today was that SAG would love him. But just to see him, he's another record breaker that we'll get into. Other ones, I mean, Annette Benning is a funny one just because it was great speaking to her and, and kind of rooting for Nyad in this funny way. But it's also one that I would rewatch now that we're going to have to talk about it again. And I love that. Another one 
Robot Dreams. Oh my god, I just did not expect this going into today. Especially animated films. It did show up at the Annie's, but again, I just didn't have any high hopes. And Neon pulled it off once again. I'm so happy for them. And then, yeah, just Anatomy of a Fall in general. We'll also talk about the can of all of this. Like, seeing Anatomy and Zone back-to-back almost at Cannes was an insane experience, but I love seeing them both here today. They're both deserving. You know, they showed up at BAFTA pretty strong and we expected that today, which they also did. And I think five, you know, compared to 13 doesn't seem like a lot, but for two international films to be getting that many, I love to see it. It's incredible that the wider body is starting to appreciate international films more, just films from everywhere. I totally agree. And then just some things that they were wild for in general. So obviously Oppenheimer, we talked about that, getting 13 nominations. Poor Things did really well with the Academy, even where it didn't line up necessarily with guilds, like Score, for instance, making it in there. I think they love the films of Yorgos Lanthimos, especially when they're, I think, a bit more palatable for the Academy, uh, their tastes, so not like the extremely wonky older Lanthimos movies, but these Tony McNamara collaborations, um, I think, and it's it's possible we could see an exact match with the favorite at the Oscars. Very possible that it could just be a lone actress winner, but we will get into that. They also liked Killers of the Flower Moon with 10 nominations. That's a pretty good showing. I personally would have given it more. We will talk about the weird adopted screenplay miss that happened. And then Barbie getting eight nominations. Again, I think that people probably expected more. Some people definitely expected less. I will say that earlier in the year. But I think eight is a good number for it. So those are our top four. Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Killers of the Flower Moon, and Barbie. I know this isn't seven, eight nominations. Meister had seven. But Napoleon showed up way more than I expected, even with three I didn't expect it to get one. So the fact that it had (laughs) costume design, production design, and visual effects, I'm like, oh, God, we're in for a ride, aren't we? (laughs) And the flip to this is that it bumped out Ferrari completely. So that's one of those movies that didn't get a single nomination. So it's kind of funny that that was your reference to House of Gucci and not Napoleon. I know. The Adam Driver of it all. (laughs) I do think Ferrari is a better movie than Napoleon. I will be clear on that for me personally, but it's going to be very fun to talk about Napoleon during Contenders. I think we we will laugh quite a bit. And I do think that the technicals of the movie are good. My issues with that movie were just that screenplay and how how long and endless it felt, despite being <laughs> an hour shorter than Killers of the Flower Moon. If you like made me bet on it, I would have told you, no, Napoleon is definitely longer. So let's talk about some of the Oscar records that were achieved this morning. The one I already mentioned being Coleman Domingo. He is the first openly gay black man to be nominated for Best Actor. And he's the second gay man to be nominated for playing a gay character after Ian McKellen in Gods and Monsters. So I'm very happy for him. Again, this was one of those that I was really, really rooting for, and I'm glad it paid off. So a couple of others we had. This was the first time in history that we've had three Best Picture nominees directed by women. 
30% of our nominees, we are getting there, but <laughs> three but most in history <laughs> with Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, and Past Lives, three movies that we both really loved this year. Martin Scorsese is the most nominated living director of all time with 10 nominations. William Wyler, who is no longer with us, sadly, He'd be very old if he still was, but he was nominated 12 times. So Marty, let's get the wager out. Let's get your Jesus movie out. Let's get two more and tie William Wyler. Even if he doesn't, I think that's great company to be in because we also love William Wyler on the pod. Mm -hmm. So Wyler and Scorsese make a beautiful duo. I agree. Love them both. Lily Gladstone was the first indigenous American actress in history to be nominated for Best Actress I love this performance so much, and I'm going to be rooting for her this year. And if not Lily Gladstone, Sandra Huller, those are my two favorite performances by women this year. And then Jodie Foster, another one of our favorites. This is the longest time between nominations in a single category. She was 14 the last time she was nominated and supporting actress for Taxi Driver. So that's wild. Like, she, of course, has one Best Actress in between, but just in terms Mm. of supporting actress, wow. It's exciting that this nomination happened for Jodi because I genuinely do really like this performance. I know people like to rag on Nyad, but Mm -hmm. she's pretty wonderful in it. She really is, and it comes down to 47 years in between performances being nominated for them, which is crazy to think that people have careers even just that long. And that it extends longer than that. Just bravo to Jody. And another thing that she aligns with is that there were six LGBTQ plus characters represented in the nominees. So I thought that was a little fun tidbit. I don't know if that's a record per se, but again, I think we're moving in the right direction. And then John Williams, you expected him to get in. I was hoping beyond <laughs> that all was odds. wrong. <laughs> yeah. Me too. But he is... Again, the oldest person ever to be nominated and the most nominated person alive with his 54th overall nomination. He outdid himself, which is just incredible. But he's the second ever most nominated person behind Walt Disney with 59. And he's 91 right now. Do we think he can bang out five more scores? I don't know, but I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, he could. He's already lived a great long life. But if he, you know, he keeps saying he's retiring, though. That's the thing, because we thought the Fablemans would be his final nomination. And here he is again. <laughs> he needs to go out with one more win. So we need to, we need to get him on songs, scores, everything. Just keep pushing. Diane, help him out. Oh, my God. We need a John Williams, Diane Warren collab. Maybe that's how she'll <laughs> finally win. <laughs> We also had Scott George, who was nominated for Wajaje, a song for my people from Killers of the Flower Moon. He's the first Native American in history to be nominated for original song, which is really cool. And this next one blew my mind and speaks to the lack of diversity in the Academy because I almost couldn't believe it. I had to go back through, but Celine Song, first Asian woman to be nominated for original screenplay. Okay, so we made it through our, you know, what we're wilds for, what the Academy's wilds for, the Oscar records. It's time to mourn. Let's talk about what we're sad about. I think the first place to start really is Greta Gerwig missing Best Director. Mm -hmm. For me, the pain of this 
was so unexpected in a way because I had told myself maybe Greta Gerwig isn't getting in. In my final predictions, I took her out, but there was still part of me that was just hoping I was wrong. And I still just kept thinking, you know, like, it doesn't matter. She's going to get nominated for picture. She's going to get nominated for screenplay. She made a billion dollar movie. Like, that's what matters. She made the biggest movie of the year. But I couldn't explain it. I was still just really sad. And obviously, like, Justine Trier is nominated and I'm so happy for her. I think that's a really deserving nomination. But the other thing that we have to stop doing, and I I don't mean us, I just mean the collective, is that there isn't just one spot for a woman in that category. So, like, no, Justine Trier did not take Greta Gerwig's spot. There's no point in talking like that about this category. And to compare them and to pit them against each other, like, that's not solving anything. I just am sad because it's not just that, oh, Greta made a blockbuster. The film that she made is really inventive and radical. And I firmly believe that. And I just feel like she deserved to get in here. So I'm really sad about it. I'm sad too. I think she really deserved it. You know, even if you make a billion plus dollar blockbuster, that still not qualifying you for best director is crazy. And that it's a boys club and that you know, we have to save one spot for an international director too. Like the fact that Trier and Glazer showed up didn't necessarily mean that they pushed Greta out, but those movies are also really good. And it's hard to explain because let's say we had another big male director who was maybe overdue, like Nolan, made a hit film and didn't show up. I feel like that would be less likely to happen, which is crazy and wrong. And I am really feeling for Greta today because of this. I think she really deserved to be here. I honestly would have given her a win and I will revere her work in this film forever. That's just plain and simple. It adds a sour note to the day. It's like we can still be happy about everything that happened. And that's true. And, you know, I'm thrilled for her that she made it into picture and screenplay. Like those are huge achievements. But still, there's just something about this that just feels wrong. And yeah, this movie is incredibly special and it will stick with me forever. And she's made two other incredible movies too. But I think that Barbie is going to be one of her films that she's really remembered for. This is her this is her major hit. We did have other categories that felt like this that felt sour. But this one, I think, just hit a lot harder. But I think something else that they had trouble with, or they've always had trouble with, is animated films getting nominated outside of animated feature. And, you know, we had talked about Daniel Pemberton and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse maybe getting into score, along with Joe Hisaichi for The Boy and the Heron. Both of those didn't show up. And Spider-Man was also predicted in visual effects to potentially get in. That also didn't happen. So I'm wondering what their problems are with these films getting in different categories. You know, we need Guillermo del Toro to come back, get on his soapbox, give them a little rant lecture about how animation is cinema, because there's so many things that go into these movies. I think they should be getting considered for screenplay, visual effects, score. Even if we don't understand it, you know, I think that's where... They come in and explain their process and we learn about it because they, the boy and the heron, and I will say Spider-Man, deserve to show up in different categories today. And not seeing Joe Hisaichi was 
the biggest crush to my soul today. That was so sad to me, especially because what on earth happened in original score? We had so many good contenders this year. And for those five to be the five is just bizarre. I mean, I just kept thinking, I'm like, well, surely, you know, we have to have the zone of interest. Like the zone of interest is doing so well here and there. Like, and then, like you said, the boy and the heron and Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, two of the best scores of the year. Also really left field nominations, American fiction, which I think you brought up as a possibility of happening because it just kept appearing places. And if they really love that movie, but Laura Cartman, first time nominee, and then we just pencil in John Williams for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We will get into it next week. But it's an oddball category. Indiana Jones, which I just watched and had to clockwork orange myself through because it was so painful. <laughs> and I will go back and listen on Spotify to the soundtrack to see what was happening. But a fourth sequel getting nominated over more original works i mean i understand that there are rules and regulations to getting nominated so it was eligible but it's apples and oranges to me and they picked the wrong fruit (laughs) (laughs) that's like the funniest thing you've ever said i can't stop stop laughing please continue on (laughs) but it's similar to the zone of interest because it's just such a different kind of sound that we hadn't heard before and yes it got nominated in sound thank god i've been Uh, holding on to that i know since the minute i heard it and i wouldn't let go and thankfully that landed even though this didn't but still we still have some ways to go in going outside of our comfort zones i also am really sad about margot robbie if you would have told me even a year ago that i would be sad about margot robbie missing best actress I would have said for what movie and how, but I I think she's so good in Barbie and the evolution of that character, the way that she moves through the movie, it's a very physical performance and I'm really moved by it every time and I'm really sad she's not here an actress. I get that she's a producer on the film and I'm so excited for her that she's nominated, but I love the performance and I'm, I'm sad that Barbie isn't nominated when America Ferreira and Ryan Gosling got in. The problem that we have is that all of the Barbie haters are now like coming out even more. And now they're saying that Ken took Barbie's nomination, which isn't the case. Like I I get it and it's upsetting, but I feel like the categories had been shaping up differently the entire season. Ryan Gosling was most likely to get in from this movie i think margot is down the list in terms of possibilities and actress just because it's such a tighter category i still wanted her to get in america ferrera who did get in today who i'm excited for responded to her nomination in saying that she was disappointed that her co-stars weren't recognized she goes what margot achieved as an actress is truly unbelievable one of the things about her is how easy she makes everything look And perhaps people got fooled into thinking that the work seems easy, but she's a magician as an actress in front of the screen. And just props to her for saying that. I'm excited to talk about her performance, but yeah, I wish we were talking about others from the cast as well. Yeah, it's just one of those cases where, and it happens from time to time, where an actor, like a lead actor from a movie doesn't get their due 
we have incredible examples of this throughout history. It's just one of those things where it's like, okay, they clearly liked a movie and the actors liked the movie enough to nominate multiple people from it, but you're not going with a clear lead or someone who is really, really strong and whose performance sticks with you. So it's it's sad. I think it's sad. Speaking of actors, I am so sad about past lives and all of us strangers. Just those actors not getting the love that they deserve this season. Those performances are beautiful and subtle and delicate and just contain so much. Like, I think Greta Lee for past lives. Like, we need to talk about the fact that she missed because she absolutely belongs in the five. I love her in that movie. Mm-hmm. Andrew Scott, Jamie Bell, Claire Foy. I mean, Tao Yu, those performances, like, that's what sticks with me. And I feel like the actors branch, they tend to just go with these big, loud performances where it's on the verge of cartoon character instead of something that feels much more well thought out and nuanced. So yeah, I just, I wish they would have gone with more actors that I really liked and I had faith in them because last year they nominated Brian Tyree Henry and that was such a wonderful surprise. So I was hoping, I think, for more of that this year. But there are some great acting nominations, definitely, but I just wanted more. I think the fact that we got 10 first-time acting nominees is really exciting. It's, again, just something that we overlook in not seeing certain things on the morning, but 10 actors finally getting their due. I love to see that. You mentioned All the Strangers being one of the movies that didn't get a single nomination. We are here to mourn. This is our Oscar Wilde in memoriam for the morning. <laughs> no, all for better or worse. <laughs> no, All of Us Strangers, Ferrari, The Iron Claw. I think that one and Origin, the next one on the list, hit the hardest for me. It makes sense that the Academy couldn't stomach them or didn't want to nominate them, but hard to digest nonetheless. Also, no Saltburn and no Taste of Things, which... France is really kicking themselves today because I expected this movie to get in. It's one of the most beautiful of the year in sensitive movies. But I think as our conversation is evolving, we're seeing that they don't like these sensitive, nuanced things. And maybe that's why the taste of things didn't show up, which is really sad. Julia Binoche, also a wonderful part of that movie that should have been considered more in supporting actress. A few other things I'm sad about just quickly. The Zone of Interest, not getting into cinematography. Would have loved to see that nomination. It's so well-deserved. And I already know what I'm going to nominate in our write-in category when we talk Mm -hmm. about cinematography. (laughs) (laughs) We'll both be talking about that one, I'm sure. I'm really sad about Killers of the Flower Moon not getting into adapted screenplay. Not really sad, I guess just disappointed because I think that's one of the greatest achievements and adaptation we have. And it definitely belongs in that category. And lastly, pour one out for my favorite movie of the year, May-December, which was only recognized in original screenplay. I knew that it was a long shot to get in places, but those three performances, Charles Melton, Julianne Moore, and Natalie Portman, I think they were too hard for the actors to comprehend. I think they they maybe hit a little too close to home. That movie is really just an all-timer. I think it's a masterclass in 20 years we'll be looking back at it at the powerhouses of Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman. And we will see where Charles Melton goes from here. I hope he gets better opportunities with bigger roles, but those two actresses just are incredible. With the cinematography mention, it's just 
I don't think funny is the right word, but all five of the nominees were at least partially in black and white. Like, is that they like a throwback? Are we going back to this like old Hollywood look? Yeah, it's it's so hard because to me, the zone of interest, that's a movie where like every single shot speaks for itself and is a work of art in so many ways. And the the black and white and the color that has been something that I feel like they've been kind of glomming on to recently and really liking. Personally, like, I love the cinematography in Oppenheimer, though. Like, I feel like the black and white and the color there really works and it makes sense for the structure of the story. But yeah, it's it's interesting. And it reminds you, like, remember when Nomadland lost here to Mank, to Eric Messerschmidt? And you're like, okay, they do like black and white. They like that vintage feel, I guess. That's what they're Mm -hmm. thinking of lately. And it was the ASC5, but it's just an interesting connection, whether it is one or not. Killers, it was just very briefly in the beginning. You know, we got those old 20s, 30s snapshots of photographs and life at the time, which they recreated, which were very cool. And I like how they used that, but... It was just something that I think maybe in future years will be like, hmm, maybe they will actually go for that. Because to pick El Conde today was just really not something I had expected going in. Yeah, it was a possibility, but it just didn't seem likely because it's one of those movies that just had one Oscar nomination. So we had a number of them today. We had American Symphony just showing up in original song. We had The Color Purple, Danielle Brooks lone nominee for that movie and supporting actress flaming hot diane warren got her nomination for the fire inside and now i have to watch flaming hot the flaming hot cheeto biopic creation story golda (laughs) got into makeup so we did talk about the possibility of that indiana jones and the dial of destiny just for original score so no visual effects nomination even though we thought that might be a possibility May, December, like we mentioned, just an original screenplay. And then Rustin, Road to Freedom, did not show up. We just had Coleman Domingo. Yeah, poor Lenny Kravitz and Road to Freedom. And with Flamin' Hot, I did watch it this morning. I teared up. I think it's a great story. Whether it's true or not, the first thing I saw online was the story actually isn't real. I think that's neither here nor there, but... The movie is enjoyable. Eva Longoria having directed it. It's a fun little snapshot of the story. And I will suggest getting some Flamin' Hot Cheetos for it (laughs) to accompany your watch. (laughs) Well, every year there's a movie I have to watch because of a Diane Warren nomination. Like, Tell It Like a Woman or Four Good Days. Right? Four Good Days. Yeah. Yeah. The Glenn Close and Mila (laughs) Mila Kunis Kunis, Yeah. (laughs) Every year there's one that I just think, okay, here we go. It's the Diane Warren special. So maybe I'll program that at home with Golda. I'll make it a double feature. So last but not least, we saw many of you submitted questions on social media. So we just want to answer some of those. The first one coming from the ghost of Glenda Miss Jackson, if you nasty. On a scale of one to flaming hot, how excited are you for Diane Warren this morning? You know, I'm going to say a five right in the middle because I'm still sad that the superior Diane Warren song, Gonna Be You from 80 for Brady, didn't make it in. And I really think that that should have been her nomination. I don't need Becky G to perform at the Oscars in the same way that I need Dolly Parton to perform at the Oscars. 
So I'll put it right in the middle. I'm always happy for Diane Warren. It really has become a bit at this point. But I wonder when she'll actually end up winning. I have a feeling she's going to write a song for that Taylor Swift movie. Just a feeling I have. Well, I am flaming hot this morning. I'm excited for Diane Warren's 15th nomination. (laughs) Like she's getting up there too, which is great. I do wish she could actually win one of these times. These movies being like, oh, we have to set aside a nomination for her doesn't ever translate to she deserves to win, which I think she had like earlier on in her nominations. But I will say the song does play well. It's an end credit song, but there's such a swell of emotion at the end of the movie and it going into the song. It's a fun way to end. And I am excited for Becky G to perform this. I hope it's like this fun, fiery, throw Cheetos at the crowd kind of moment. (laughs) You know, they're just going to like pan to the crowd and we're going to see like Robert Downey Jr. eating Flamin' Hot Cheetos. That's what's going to happen. (laughs) I'm trying to think of who would participate in that bit. And he was the first person that came to mind. (laughs) It works. It does. And I forgot to mention him. I can't believe it, but... I'm sorry to everyone out there who didn't like Maestro. Bradley Cooper is a 12-time Oscar nominee, soon to be 12-time loser, but winner in my heart, (laughs) always. And our next question that we have is from Kenny. Given the love for Oppenheimer this morning, is Emily Blunt a sleeper in Best Supporting Actress? I don't think so. If she wanted CCA, I could have expected that maybe, but at this point, we are so far along the divine joy randolph train it needs to continue i don't even want to entertain anything but that because even if this is the only win for the holdovers it will be an oscar winning film and i need that i think emily blunt has been a little overdue and i'm excited for her to have gotten in i think when i first saw oppenheimer i didn't expect it but now looking back it does feel right that she's in for this film Yeah, it's funny because I need to listen back to our Oppenheimer episode because I remember us mostly talking about Killian and Robert Downey Jr., but not so much about her. But yeah, I'm happy for her that she got her first nomination. For me, her first nomination will always be the one in my head for The Devil Wears Prada because she should have been nominated for that. But yeah, I think I agree with you. I feel like in another year, maybe it would absolutely make sense for her to win, especially given Oppenheimer's strength. But I feel like Davine Joy Randolph is just too strong. She's won everything. She's Mm -hmm. in like elite company with what she's won this year. So I think she's going to keep going. Yeah, I agree. Next up, we have a question from Roy Mao. Can movies are doing better and better every year. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, can is the key. I mean, if we look at can, the zone of interest, anatomy of a fall... Indiana Jones, Perfect Days. There were so many. I mean, the the fact that Indiana Jones showed up there is also wild to me. Killers of the Flower Moon was a can movie. Was Elvis a can movie last year? Yes, Elvis was a can movie. And Top Gun Maverick, yeah. Even the ones that aren't in that, like, the special premiere section of Cannes, like an Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny or an Elvis or a Top Gun Maverick, those, I think... From year to year, we expect to pick up a nomination or two, depending just because the crafts are really strong or they're made by people we're familiar with. 
But in terms of the strength of international features specifically, Can I think, will continue to be the place where we really need to look. Predicting Justine Trier and Ruben Usland last year, Can was the place where that started, like being Palme d'Or winners. Mm-hmm. It really is, I think, that kind of perfect place to get started if your film is strong, like Anatomy of a Faller of the Zone of Interest. When you start early and you're a quieter film, you can like you can build up that buzz that can be sustained throughout the season. Yeah, I think Can really is the key going forward. And the fact that we're seeing these movies not only there, but show up with the BAFTAs and different international groups, Anatomy did really well at the European Film Awards. So I think we just need to look at other international bodies as well. And as the Academy expands and becomes more international throughout all of its categories and guilds, we'll see things starting to mirror some of those different ceremonies as well. And another one, I mean, we had Elemental there. I don't think that really aligns, but Four Daughters, which I saw, that was a GoldenEye winner at Cannes. It was also in competition, lost to Anatomy, but the fact that it's getting that visibility at the festival is really important. Definitely. I'm excited to go to Cannes again one year soon. <laughs> Next question we have is from Chelsea. Pouring one out for Dua and my two Gretas, meaning Greta Gerwig and Greta Lee, would you swap them in and who would you knock out? I mean, I wish we could say Oscar-nominated Dua Lipa. Hopefully one day we will. I think with Greta Gerwig, and the thing about that when they read the announcement is that they went from Justine Trier to Marty and they skipped Greta, they skipped Alexander Payne. And I was just like, my brain was so lost in that moment, which maybe I didn't expect Payne as much, but still it's a movie they pretty well liked overall. I think saying that I would have to leave Lanthimos off, but I honestly think they're all pretty good. I would like to see Greta Gerwig more and in actress, like these things just hurt. Like, I think we have to leave off Annette Benning, but I also love her a lot. <laughs> and whether I give that spot to Greta or Margot, it's really hard. But I do wish Past Lives had a bigger swell, kind of in how people felt for After Sun last year, just how much they loved everything about it. Because this movie really did deserve it. It deserved cinematography. It deserved editing. All of these technical categories, even, in a movie that really isn't that. Yeah, I would nominate all the people here. So I would actually, if we allowed three Barbie songs to get in, let's nominate Dua, let's kick out It Never Went Away. John Batiste already has an Oscar. It's fine. We can keep Diane Warren there. And then Greta's. Yeah, I would kick out Annette Benning. If I was trying to be strategic here, I would kick out Emma Stone so that Lily Gladstone and Sandra Huller had a clear path to victory and didn't have her in the way. <laughs> But if I'm being honest with the nominees, I would kick out Annette Benning as well. And then for Greta Gerwig, easy. I would kick out Yorgos Lanthimos and I would keep the other four. I mean, Jonathan Glazer and Martin Scorsese, top two for director for me anyway this year. And, you know, Nolan, I've had such a journey with Nolan over the years, but he was my pick for if you could give this movie one Oscar yeah. for Oppenheimer. So I would kick out Yorgos Lanthimos. 
Okay, and then from Rob Montoya, they asked, what was your favorite nomination, your WTF nomination, and your most disappointing snub? Okay, my favorite nomination overall is Lily Gladstone in Best Actress for Killers of the Flower Moon. I am so happy that this happened. I was so worried for her. You know, there was part of me, like in the back of my head, where I just kept thinking, oh, is there going to be category confusion? Is she going to end up in supporting? Are they going to forget about her altogether? And it's just a really subtle, quiet performance that they don't tend to love. So I'm so happy that she's here. I guess for my favorite, I mentioned a few already. Robot Dreams, that was one of them, Coleman Domingo. I think something that's a little out in left field would be the holdovers getting into editing. I think this category in particular is something that we look at compounded by, yes, picture and director, but in trying to figure out what's actually going to win the night of. And the fact that the holdovers made it just made me really happy is that they appreciated the technical aspects of the movie. And it really does show that all audiences were fans of this movie. So I loved seeing that there. I love the holdovers editing nomination too. I rewatched it this weekend, and it's well-deserved. I think my WTF nomination, it's hard because I think most people would say Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny in score or Golda in makeup, but I predicted those, so they were not huge surprises for me. My WTF nomination was actually To Kill a Tiger in Best Documentary. Every year in that category, there's one that I just haven't seen and haven't talked about and haven't heard very many people talk about, and that was To Kill a Tiger this year. So I am looking forward to watching it. I still have no idea what it's about. (laughs) We will find out very soon. I think WTF for me has to be Napoleon. The fact that it had three nominations. (laughs) Having to talk about this movie three more times, I'm preparing myself for these moments. Because I didn't expect it. The sad part is, earlier in the season, I think I saw it getting into these categories and I was worried and just hoped that it didn't, but it did. That's right. You were on the early Napoleon train. You were. <laughs> you were. <laughs> it was. We all doubted you. And here here it is with three oh, nominations. I forgot about all that. And it's coming back to me and I hate myself for it. Yeah. But at least we didn't have Wonka, question mark. I mean, Wonka, I would rather watch Wonka than some of the movies that were nominated. I'll save my opinions on that maybe for another time. But I didn't have a bad time with Wonka. And then, I mean, the most disappointing snub, Killers of the Flower Moon missing adapted screenplay. There's something about that for me that just does not compute. And the fact that it missed is just odd. I talked about some snubs already, but another one that I was really shocked by was Beyond Utopia not getting into documentary. If it's coming to your city, I know it's not a nominee, but I would still recommend seeing it. I think the movie does a really good job in showing the necessity of the art behind it, having a documentary made about that experience. And yeah, I really wish it would have shown up. So as we wrap up, what do you think is winning Best Picture as of today? I think we need to rearrange our contenders because I think it's an Oppenheimer-Nolan showdown. They are the ones to beat, and I don't see anybody coming close right now. I think in second place would be poor things for picture. What's yours? I mean, I think for me it's the holdovers because 
The Holdovers has a potential original screenplay win. That category is going to be very hard to predict, though. Supporting actress, potentially actor, and an editing nomination. That's a pretty good showing. But I don't really know if it's close between one and two. That's the thing, right? That's kind of hard to tell from year to year. But, I mean, stranger things have happened, like The King's Speech and La La Land. And we've had these sorts of flips that happen year to year. But at this moment in time, I mean, I don't see anything beating Oppenheimer. Pain missing director is the one thing that worries me even though both got into editing and Poor Things has cinematography, but Oppenheimer has them all. So Mm -hmm. we will get into all of the categories and how we feel and what we want to see win, what we think will win on our Oscar Contender Series, which will be coming next. We'll be breaking down all of the categories into different episodes, and we'll be talking about every nominee, every aspect of the film, and why it got nominated. I'm so excited. So our first episode in our Oscar Contender series for this year will be our first round of Below the Line nominees. So we will be covering original song, original score, sound, film editing, and visual effects. I can't wait. Well, thank you all for listening. Feel free to rate, review, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Oscar Wild Pod. We also have bonus content on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde. And we will be keeping our predictions updated on our website at oscarwild.squarespace.com. Thank you all for listening. Let us know what you think of the Oscar nominations. See you next time. Bye.